This time on Watchers of Tomorrow, when is a holodeck not a holodeck? To Watchers of Tomorrow, the sci-fi review and critique show where it is a dark and stormy night. <laughs> Ooh, actually, it's a it's a bright and way too hot day, but you know. So mm. I apologize if there is background noise because I'm not turning off my air conditioner for anyone. <laughs> my name is Gepwin, and I'm joined as always by my friend and co-host Dr. Isaacs. Hi. Also, I was the air conditioner just now. Oh, so this is um, this is one of those ones. Yep, this is certainly an episode of Star Trek. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's it's a very classic kind of episode of Star Trek. I was just I was just thinking about this a, a minute ago when I was pulling the script up and getting my notes together. This this is such an oddball episode that I'm constantly trying to remember it as a season one episode because it <laughs> seems like it fits there better. Yes. But then that means that every time I try to remember it, I get confused whether or not Riker's supposed to have a beard <laughs> and surprise he does <laughs> so yeah it's uh this is the royale which uh if you don't recognize the name it is the one where the crew get trapped in a hotel and casino yes uh, it's a little bit like the hotel california but in space mm -hmm. i guess they don't technically check in fully uh, <laughs> it's like and yeah, i'm not here. sure whether it's in california or not i mean they get a room key so i guess they do check in but they do leave. Spoilers. Surprise, this is not the last episode of the se uh, series. <laughs> oh, we just lost some crew members there. It's fine. Oh, well. <laughs> Dang it. Yeah, this is like uh, this is like one of those FTL missions. Like, do you send your crew down to the mysterious hotel? Oh, they're dead. Yep. <laughs> just gone. Don't worry about it. <laughs> uh, this uh, episode was written by one Tracy Torm May, who is credited as... Uh, Keith Mills, for some reason, they didn't want their name attached to this. Yeah, the uh, I hated this sort of uh, alternative uh, to the uh, the, uh, the writer title there. Mm -hmm. uh, Tamara was a writer for Saturday Night Live in the 80s and a story editor for Next Generation, but left early on in this season for obvious reasons that we're going to get into in a minute. He also mm -hmm. co-created Sliders. Um, yes. Had his name removed from this episode because the original script was about the nightmare of an astronaut being trapped forever in his most pleasant memory. And then it was rewritten into what we see now. <laughs> yes. So uh, yeah, it's like, yeah, this isn't what I wrote really at all. So I don't want my actual name on it, please. <laughs> mm -hmm. Which that sounds but, kind of yeah. kind of interesting. Right. The the mm -hmm. horror of being trapped in your most pleasant memory for eternity. Uh, it reminds me of the the movie uh, Brain Candy. Mm, I haven't heard of yeah. that one. Uh, Kids in the Hall. Uh, the uh, the premise is that uh, there's a, a big pharmaceutical company that's trying to you know make a lot more money, and you know their big success is kind of fading in terms of profitability. So they're like, yeah, we're kind of just going out of our way to get anything uh, here, there, or anywhere that will uh, you know be able to sell. And uh, one of their researchers pops up and's like, well, I got a, a cure for depression, and like, brilliant. Uh, never mind that one of the uh, side effects is that after, uh, you know, it cures your depression by having you remember constantly your favorite memory of all, you know, you know, that makes you happiest. And eventually that's 
all you can experience. And so you just kind of get frozen in that memory. Ah, fun. Yeah. <laughs> it's also very silly. Anyway. <laughs> Rotten Tomato score of 44% and a Metacritic score of 55%. So polarizing. Yes. <laughs> and Cisco so, and Ebert were split. <laughs> it is a, a, a comedy, so very subjective on uh, you know how you sort mm -hmm. of uh, read the humor there. So, yes. Yeah, we have... Um... We have more guest stars than normal, so I'm going to do a very quick rundown here because I have to name several people. It's like four, which is my yeah. limit. After four, I start dropping people off. <laughs> so I'll start with Patrick Stewart. Wait a second. <laughs> uh, Sam Anderson plays the assistant manager. He did a good amount of TV in the 80s and 90s and had reoccurring roles on Growing Pains and Perfect Strangers as mm -hmm. well as an FBI agent on the series called Picket Fences. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Uh, Jill Jacobson plays Vanessa. She was best known for reoccurring roles on the soap operas Falcon Crest and The New Gidget. And New in Gidget? the 80s, she was on a lot of made-for-TV movies. Yeah, still doing uh, sort of one-off roles here and there. Uh, you know, Murphy Brown, uh, uh, House of Usher... Uh, castle, something called Etheria, it's a bartender, I guess. Okay, that doesn't sound familiar. Castle, yeah. I know. <laughs> yes. <laughs> then Leo Garcia plays the bellboy. A lot of these mm -hmm. people don't have names. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> He's appeared in shows like Fame and would later appear in films like The Last Resort because he had experience in a resort, you see. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, in this episode. Uh, clear and Present Danger. Yeah. Uh, he was also in uh, Space Above and Beyond, which is a uh, a little known but uh, kind of awesome space uh, science fiction show uh, that, from the early 90s or mid 90s, I guess. Well, that does sound interesting. That's <laughs> uh, basically uh, some human, you know, humans are like going to the stars and then suddenly aliens attack and they're like, what the heck, aliens? Aliens, we're not going to talk to you. We're just going to shoot you a lot. Oh, this sucks. All right. So every video game. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, so how do you deal with that? Like as actual people <laughs> then finally for our purposes we have noble willinghelm i know I, I hope i'm pronouncing that right i think it, it might be wilhelm but it's got an n in the middle of it so i don't know if i'm supposed to pronounce that <laughs> willingham willingham there we go i did it here you did it he was uh in a lot of uh this sh little known show called walker texas ranger yeah i, I mean <laughs> if you can remember from the 90s the uh yeah, that uh, show about the the Texas Ranger who like kicks people a lot. <laughs> uh, he was on a lot of TV history, like a lot of his, of TV. It was in Bonanza <laughs> and Gunstroke, Gunsmoke. I was gonna say Gunstroke. What is that? That sounds dirty. <laughs> yeah, that's the uh, porn parody. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the Waltons, Mary Tyler Moore, A Team. Yeah, Ooh, main nice. role in Walker Texas Ranger, and would later appear in Quantum Leap. Hmm. So all the things. Uh, also an aftermash and highway to heaven and a few others. So oh, no, yeah. aftermash. Yes. <laughs> so apparently there was another sequel to the series. <laughs> he was also in today's FBI. <laughs> today's FBI, along with the historical spinoff show, yesterday's FBI, and the science fiction show, tomorrow's FBI. <laughs> yeah, the complete FBI uh, cinematic uh, TV universe. Uh, <laughs> 
you know, it's, it's growing, man. <laughs> well, they should have crossovers. They should have like the serial killer that they chase in yesterday's and then they find in the present one and then they like resurrected future cloning for the future <laughs> one. And then, you know, the, uh, there's also like the reboot one where they, uh, they have a crossover where the, uh, the cloned one has now been teleported over and is a cyborg. And <laughs> so, yeah, we should pitch our uh, FBI the connected shows you have to watch all three it's like the it's like they all show in order yeah. <laughs> on upn probably is upn still a thing i don't watch tv anymore <laughs> I, I don't think so maybe we should bring it back yeah the united purgatory network we <laughs> For just shows. play repeats of old shows over and over but we arrange them in such a way that it's plausible that they're all connected. <laughs> yes. Somebody write write this up. It's the it's the network for the uh, for the whatever hospital cinematic oh, Saint, universe. Uh, the Saint Elsewhere. <laughs> yeah, Saint Elsewhere. There it was. <laughs> you know, connect uh, Mary Tyler Moore to uh, Doctor Who and back again. <laughs> <laughs> I can't tell if I if I don't think I have anything to talk about or if I'm just too hot to think coherently. <laughs> So uh, I guess I'll have to come up with some stuff then, all right? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we may as well get to um, whatever. In, they, this is no more coherent than this episode is going to be. So I guess yes. that's why I'm not trying very hard. It's all good. <laughs> so the Enterprise is diverted from its intended course, which is going to investigate something, to investigate something else. Because some Klingons found some unusual debris orbiting a planet. Hmm. Well, that's kind of cool. Um, so this is like up in orbit, and uh, we can sort of you know view screen it up and be like, oh hey, it's like a a, a broken whatever here. Yeah, uh, the planet in question is completely uninhabitable. Surface temperature is lower than absolute zero, uh, with a three hundred meter per second wind speed, and an so, atmosphere made of yeah. liquid nitrogen. So it's a little ridiculous there. Yeah, and impossible. <laughs> I forget what they quoted, but I, I was just curious, so I looked up the number that they quoted, and it is well below absolute zero. Uh, Riker goes to see Picard, who's mulling over Formant's last theorem, which, for those wondering, is x to the n plus y to the n equals z to the n if n is no more than two. And uh, basically, it says that you know it, this is not a uh, a applicable equation if uh, all those uh, values are integers. Yes. Which, um, except for like, yeah. you know, one and two, of course. I mean, I'll give you a minute to work it out. Yeah. And, um, you know, it, it's never been proven until about 10 years after this episode aired. Yes. <laughs> yeah. The, uh, the, the early proof was like 93. The more complete one was a few years later. And yeah, <laughs> but you know, it was apparently never solved in the Star Trek timeline, which oh. I guess maybe explains everything. Maybe. Something in our future will be irrevocably altered by having proved that n squared, that x to the n plus y to the n equals z to the n has no solution in positive integers. Yes. You know, except for, you know, one and two for n. <laughs> well, if n is greater than two, yeah, so you don't have that one yeah. and two. <laughs> um, anyone who's confused, math though it seems really simplistic, takes a very absurd amount of logic to actually demonstrate whether or not something is true. Indeed. Like, it takes six pages to demonstrate factually that one plus one equals two. Because you have to, you know, establish that you can add things, and this is how adding things works, and that these numbers exist in a timeline of, uh, of a, in a, a set of numbers, and 
so on and so forth. You have to compile all these together, and then you can prove it. Uh, I asked a, I asked a math teacher once, and he said that the proof is essentially just proving that nothing else could. Like if you could exclude everything else, then uh, but not this, then you know that works. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, math takes an absurd amount of work to be able to demonstrate, and we take a lot of things on faith. Indeed. So uh, yeah, they leave the math talk behind because no one cares. This is a science fiction show. <laughs> no one cares about math. They beam on board some of the debris that they're here to investigate. And they grab something that they think has markings on it. And they pull it up and it's a NASA logo with an American flag. Huh. Well, that's a little w wacky. Uh, how'd this get all the way over here? This is like light years from Earth, you know? Like a whole bunch. Like more than four. Yeah. On further inspection, it's a Earth ship from the mid-21st century. It is also degraded like it was hit with some sort of energy weapon. So, uh, Klingons, have you been, you know, shooting at this thing here? Uh, is that why it's all broken up? I mean, they do that. Also, on the planet, in the middle of a plane of frozen methane, is a little box of breathable atmosphere. Well, that's weird. Wait a moment. We've run into this sort of thing in uh, Star Trek before. Hmm, Trelane, are you back? So they decide that the only way to do anything about this is to send a team down. They don't have probes. <laughs> no, they don't, like, Stargate invented a thing to send through first to make sure you didn't pop out into space yes <laughs> they don't even bother and uh like even in the other stargates they're like we need an alternative to this because we can't just keep building robots uh we'll have a yeah the ship just has like a floating sphere you could send through it's cool <laughs> yeah the vlogosphere <laughs> yes <laughs> i and god i hated that show <laughs> I, I, I enjoyed it, but yeah, it had its flaws. So anyway. <laughs> so uh, Riker, Worf, and Data prepare to head down. Um, I would possibly, like I said, send a probe or at least send them down in environmental suits to this, mm -hmm. you know, completely unlivable space. Yes. <laughs> but it's like, yeah, this could it just works. be a sensor glitch, you know. <laughs> yeah, they beam down to a big black box with a single freestanding revolving door. They enter to find themselves in a fancy hotel lobby and casino where they are immediately cut off from all communications to the ship and they lose their transporter lock. Well, um, this sucks. Um, what do we do now? Do we try to go back outside and reestablish communications? Because this seems like there's like an interference field here. And well, if we get run into trouble, that could be, you know, a big problem to get us out of there in a hurry. Yeah, you'd think so. But Riker goes, eh, it's fine. I'm sure it's fine. The downside of having a beard is sometimes he makes really silly decisions because he's just feeling so much bolder. Yeah. So inside, uh, they are directed to the front desk where the assistant manager is expecting them, apparently. Hmm. A trio of foreign visitors. Yes. Are you like a, a person, an AI, maybe some sort of robot, maybe? I love this guy. This This acting <laughs> is great. Yes, because <laughs> it's like, I'm trying to make sense of you, and uh, yes, you're from out of town, so foreign people, yes. It's like, where are you from? We are from space. Excellent. I'm sure you uh. are. <laughs> <laughs> so he's interrupted from checking them in by the bellboy, who wants to know if someone named Rita called, and to talk up how he hates someone called Mickey D, and mm. he's not afraid of Mickey D. No, sir, not Mr. Bellboy. Yeah, so uh, do be careful, though. Uh, I hear he has a clown on the pay payroll. So uh, the assistant manager just goes like, shoo, 
bellboy and gives the crew their keys and some complimentary casino chips is otherwise completely unhelpful of any attempts for them to question in any in any capacity guess we are now here and we can gamble if we want um now what <laughs> so data scans everything and discovers that no one has life signs uh there's no machinery and but everything very definitely exists that's there they can touch it it's just not really there so it is both here and not here we are apparently in schrodinger's holodeck so he starts scanning a guy in a cowboy outfit and he goes this man doesn't even have dna he takes offense to that now the the only reason though that he's even responding though is because uh, he's one of the main characters of the story so this is tex tex is teaching his woman girlfriend someone his, his lady friend yeah uh, to play blackjack and gives her very very bad advice about the blackjack mm-hmm. that data points out that the odds are not uh, in favor of what he's suggesting <laughs> it's almost like this guy's trying to have her lose all her money or something like that that's well, suspicious or is very bad at blackjack because most people that's... are yes Riker decides that now it's time for them to leave because i guess he doesn't like the cowboy hat or something i don't know why <laughs> now is the time to try to leave Oh no, Data's going native. They go through the revolving door and they wind up coming right back inside because as you can see by watching their shadows, they don't in fact let go of the door at any point. Yep. <laughs> this is one of those situations where they could very easily have done like like a, a very basic special effect that has been around for decades at this point to make it look like that the moment they are leaving, they're coming right back in. Mm-hmm. But they'd opt not to do that. But why do it in two takes when you could do it in one? <laughs> and have it look silly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so back on the ship, they're trying to figure out a way to break through the interference, keeping them from communicating with the away team. Also, Jordy thinks he might be able to punch through the bubble with phasers, um, which would collapse it and immediately kill them all. But, you know, we might be able to beam them out just before that happens. <laughs> Indeed. So um, yeah, we'll call that, uh, you know, option... Uh, suicide you know uh now that the away team has figured out that they can't get out through the revolving door uh they start shooting everything doesn't do anything though <laughs> like oh yes these uh, walls are apparently immune to phasers well like i guess we should have been expecting that i guess um maybe there's like a back door a window maybe uh it seems to be this one room really it's a very yeah. boring hotel <laughs> so Mark goes kitchen. on to question the manager and uh, they see that the bellboy now has a gun. So things have escalated. Hmm. So uh, which one of them is going to get shot by this guy? <laughs> yeah, Chekhov's gun. Yes. Bellboy's gun. <laughs> Wait a second. Uh, there's, there's no Chekhov in this episode, though. Huh. No. I mean, we don't know what the bellboy's name is. Well, that's true. It's Chekhov's mm. ancestor. So the manager continues to be very unhelpful and just sort of wanders away. Uh, not all hope is lost, though, because Picard has figured out a way to get through to them. Though there's a lot of interference, they can communicate. Well, uh, you know, Riker, uh, why didn't you, like, try to leave right away? Um, it's like, <laughs> oh, we were trapped. Yeah, totally. Um, it wasn't me being kind of silly about not trying to leave. No, 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 no. We were definitely trapped the whole time. I tried. Tried to get yeah. back. <laughs> I wasn't reveling in my power or anything. Yep. <laughs> Probably out from under your shadow, Picard. Mwah! So while they work on how to get communications back up and normal uh data detects human dna a few levels above them 
They head upstairs and find the remains of a man lying in a hotel bed who died about 200 years ago. Um, but mm-hmm. the environment in here is so stable that he mummified. Yeah, though uh, this is a very poor mummification all the same because it, yeah, it's, it's a little bit more mm-hmm. decayed than that. So it's clearly there's some miscommunication between the prop people and yeah. the script people because, yeah, this guy, yeah. Well, <laughs> I don't know. This wouldn't, I'm sorry, this just wouldn't work in any regard. The mummif- yeah. mummification would be because the environment would be too dry to allow... Mm-hmm there to be decay yes the most of the stuff that decays you as a entity is already there mm-hmm. you brought it with you you know get dried out so it doesn't last very long so they find the mummy and in the closet they find a spacesuit with the flag patch on it that has 52 stars and they finally get a solid communication from the ship Wait a second, 52 stars? That means finally Puerto Rico uh, became a state. Yeah, or uh, D.C. Well, this is, uh, you know, Star Trek. They, they wouldn't give D.C. the statehood, <laughs> though they should. What else we get? The um, Guam? Guam. Uh, maybe like a general Pacifica state that has like some weird rules to like join American Samoa in as well. Yeah. I mean, really, if we were going to do well, we'd need at least an extra four, maybe five. Yeah, I'd like to see Puerto Rico, uh, you know, very specific, uh, you know, island territories uh, you know, and D.C. becoming states. And, uh, you know, I think that'd be, you know, both cool and, you know, give them some representation, yeah. you know. Though I know some of, the, <laughs> uh, some of the Pacific Island colonies have a uh, mixed mixed view on whether or not they'd enjoy statehood. Indeed. I believe uh, American Samoa is like, yeah, we're kind of actually okay with the status quo. Like last time they were sort of given a good, uh, you know, uh, survey slash vote on it. Um, and so they continued as was. And, but who knows what the future may bring. Could, could become independent. They like but, plow. But at some time in the mid-22nd century, in the mid-21st century, we had 52 states. Probably during that weirdly brief period between now and World War Three. I guess uh, maybe that's why... No, that's a terrible explanation for why people are trying to prevent you know, World War Three. No, it's a very, very terrible explanation for yeah. any of that. I don't know. <laughs> I'm sorry. That new... I enjoyed the time travel episode of, of Strange New Worlds, but we really didn't need an explanation for why the timeline doesn't line up. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Things are just getting complicated. Don't worry about it. <laughs> anyway... The sh- now that they can communicate with the ship, they run a search for the astronaut and find that he was the commander of the third manned mission that attempted to leave the solar system. Hmm. Well, what happened to the other two? I don't know. Maybe they didn't make it. Maybe they didn't actually leave. They got to Jupiter and were like, this is boring. <laughs> we're just sitting in space a whole lot. I don't know what to do, man. <laughs> Our computer's already tried to murder us, but we shut him down before he could do that. Uh <laughs> They also find a novel in the hotel room called the Hotel Royale, which is the name of the hotel that they're in. Dun, it's dun, about dun. a group of gamblers in a hotel and a murder of the bellboy and an older man who is concerting with a woman in order to murder her husband hmm. and uh, who is squandering her inheritance. All things that, you know, they've seen happen. Yeah, so uh, he really is trying to get the lady to, like, lose all her money for reasons and then, you know, He'll block some murder later. And the boy bellboy is already running around. He's talking about Mickey D. And apparently all of this was written by Mickey D's perspective. That's weird. Yeah. Because he's not here. (laughs) 
Yeah. So for what I imagined before I walked in and killed that guy. Yes. <laughs> this is what was going on, clearly. They also find a diary that has one entry by the astronaut. Apparently their ship was infected by some sort of alien being. It tried to communicate with them, but accidentally killed everybody except for himself. And out of some sort of guilt, the beings created this hotel based on the novel, assuming that this is a representation of life on Earth. Hmm. So it's sort of like the Quater uh, Mass experiment, but uh, uh, you know, the alien force is uh, trying to be nice about it. Yeah. Yeah. So he's been trapped in this living hell for 30 years, and he will welcome death. <laughs> I thought being near Jupiter was boring. This is even worse. <laughs> So now they've gotten a very nice, neat explanation of everything that's going on, and they need to figure out how to get out of here. So yeah, far, the only plan power. they have is to break the bubble with phasers, let them all freeze to death, and then try to revive them when they beam them back. Hmm. So you should probably find another option. Yes. <laughs> You know, maybe there's a master control system somewhere and uh, having tricorders, you might be able to locate it and uh, make use of that in order to uh, get out of the situation. You know, a tool that the astronaut that was stuck here clearly didn't have. Yeah, you could use your gadgets or something. Yeah. But uh, Picard and Troy start reading the novel, hoping they can gain some information that might help. It was a dark and stormy night, which is not an auspicious <laughs> beginning. <laughs> Nope. <laughs> the uh, last time I read, uh, you know, that particular opening to a story, it was intentionally trying to be a silly story, and uh, well, this is being a little bit more serious. Uh oh. Is that the dark and stormy night competition? Uh, not quite. Uh, this was uh, someone trying to. Uh, well, uh, the short version is it was a parody of erotica. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> so a friend of mine uh, put it together, and uh, yes. Uh, is a parody it, of erotica just massively unerotic? Yeah. <laughs> it also has more puns. Uh, oh. And uh, like, you know, I, and I hope there would be pancakes. <laughs> so um, while Picard's looking at the book, the away team tries to question the guests. They don't have a lot of luck. Most of them won't engage with them, and the ones who will won't break script. Mm-hmm. So, uh, it seems that Tex is both the story character and the story character. That's why they can talk to him. Yes. Yes. <laughs> uh, they search around. Bellboy shows up again. Manager says, Rita called, and she was crying. No. Oh, Rita, where are you? Uh, Mickey D enters. The manager asks him to take it outside. The he and the bellboy head towards the revolving door, and Mickey D shoots him in the back. Well, um, I think everyone should be like freaking out. Someone calling the cops around this point. Yeah, and, but no, uh, maybe no. Yeah, <laughs> just oh, he's been shot. But then Mickey D leaves, which no one's done so far, mm -hmm. and uh, he probably was able to do it because it's written down on page two forty-four. Oh, well, I guess that explains that then. But uh, how does this help us? And also, why is no one freaking out? Is it just because the novel is po so poorly written? Yes. Oh. So they look into how the book ends, which I might have looked into earlier, because you, what if the hotel just explodes? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> you know, maybe the, uh, the, the astronaut, uh, you know, has been stuck here because he died here and it just kept resurrecting him and exploding him. So in the end of the book, Bellboy is shot. The hotel gets bought out by the foreign investors. 
and they leave. Hmm. So, oh, oh. Riker decides that since they are probably three foreigners, according to the guy at the desk, mm-hmm. they could buy the hotel and leave. Well, uh, I guess this is as good a plan as any, other than the one I suggested earlier. But Data, no. <laughs> for some reason, uh, decides the best way to do this is to play craps. Of all of the games that we have seen available, craps is, in fact, the most random. <laughs> Data would be able to sweep the board in blackjack. Yes. <laughs> because he can calculate card odds immediately <laughs> with no problem. But they decide to play craps. Because I guess he can throw perfect, you know, sevens as much many times as he likes without, you know, there being any sort of interference from the outside world. Well, he rolls a few times and you get predictably random, unfavorable results. He discovers the dice are not balanced properly. Hmm. He gives them a squeeze to correct this and then rolls perfect sevens every time. (laughs) because <laughs> that's clearly the way you roll seven is having perfectly balanced dice i mean if he can roll them perfectly i suppose or he just reweighted them to cheat yes because the hotel was obviously <laughs> cheating yes so yeah we're just gonna cheat back it's fine <laughs> uh picard reminds them that the investors in the book are described as flamboyantly generous so Riker has data win some extra money and starts tipping everyone with thousands of dollars no oh, uh, i'd kind of like to get randomly tipped thousands of dollars by some random person yeah hang so, out hooray. in a high class hotel i guess yeah <laughs> the manager comes up it's like uh you've kind of broken the bank he goes that's okay we'll take the hotel ha <laughs> 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 um, <laughs> then they leave back into the void where they started and get beamed up well uh i guess uh we've managed to escape here and uh you know, uh, are we going to do anything about this this trap hotel here? Well, what they what they do, they go back to the ship and go, gee, that was mysterious. I guess not all mysteries are satisfying. Yes. <laughs> Some alien set us up here and we're just not going to resolve it at all. The end. Yes. Just like <laughs> Femal's uh, last theorem there. It will never be solved. The yes. End. Never. Some writer was pretty, pretty cocky about that one. So yeah, this is a really silly episode. Yeah. 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 Yep. <laughs> I mean, I've always liked it. I've always really enjoyed the silly episodes. I think it actually shows the strength of the TNG cast. Because mm-hmm. the silly episodes of ne- of uh, original series could get a little bit grating, mm-hmm. depending on what they were doing. But it's just fun to watch this cast engage in novel situations indeed <laughs> and you know they're doing their best to be uh you know uh, fully on board with you know the absurdity of it and being character and they're pulling it off so now i do think that uh i don't i don't know what to talk about here because this this episode doesn't really delve into anything interesting or, or ask any questions <laughs> look at the nature of humanity just says <laughs> some fiction is poorly written And if you had to engage with that forever, it would suck. (laughs) Yes. Uh, Well, I guess uh, it does remind me a little bit of uh, some of the push currently from, uh, you know, big media companies to uh, basically fill our world with poorly written fiction via AI. Yeah, though I feel like some AI would write better fiction than this. 
Yes. It would at least be more random and baffling yeah. <laughs> as opposed to just cliche after cliche and, you know, just things not really coming together or making sense at all. You know, things might not make sense in an AI written uh, script, but uh, at the very least, it'll be making sense as in suddenly Q appears and just slaps, uh, you know, uh, you know, let's say a, a data upside the head and it's like, that's the last time you do that, and then you get vanishes, and you're like, "What was that about?" I don't know, but we're moving on. <laughs> and it would probably be just oddly repetitive with the AI written scripts I've seen. Yes. <laughs> Q appears and says, that. "Hello, data. I am data." Says data. Yes, you are data. Says Q. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and you, you and me are all here together then. Hmm. <laughs> Cuckoo, kachu. Yes. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I guess a, uh, a, a another sort of way to maybe uh, look at the, this is that there has been for quite some time a general market for cheap fiction. Uh, the Beatles even wrote a song about it. You know, paperback writer is like, yeah, I just want to get this thing out here and, you know, I want to like make money sort of, but not much money because I'm not very good. And I'm basically plagiarizing a whole novel, but it's it's written by me, so it's it's better and good, right? And yeah, we're just gonna shove it out the door, and it'll be great. You'll make money off of it. Yeah, I always enjoyed that as a. I mean, that's that's a lot of the history of early sci-fi is those old mm -hmm. pulp novels and penny magazines, like a pulp a pulp novel. We we call we have pulp as just a sort of general term now, but it was it was cheap paper. Mm -hmm. It was paper made from recycled pulp that was cheaper to print on and didn't last as long. You get it out there, you read the uh, the short story there, or you know something a little longer if you're lucky, and you know you're like, well, that was an experience, and now I'll set it aside and it'll decay, and I don't really care about that. Yeah, and a lot of older sci-fi was written in that kind of format, or um, was adapted to a paperback from a series of short story connected short stories that appeared in science mm -hmm. fiction magazines that's a lot of asimov's stuff yes yeah in fact i've recently started reading foundation and uh it's like yeah these are kind of clearly you know dividable up into different short stories but it's all been compiled here into a single novel and you know i do think it's kind yeah. of interesting that the science fiction show choose chose to make fun of the uh, pulpy crime novel as a uh, depiction of bad media <laughs> which we've already kind of done a crime novel episode too so same old ground just different players yeah maybe the, maybe there's better options out there <laughs> maybe like a a steamer romance yeah they couldn't film that <laughs> but that would have been great if they walk in and a dude with long hair and half a shirt rides up on horseback <laughs> oh it's fabio <laughs> i come from the land where the Music is uh, soft and the lights dim. <laughs> Come with me. I did think the uh, I was thinking about it, and and my central beef that I have with this episode as a story is actually not the setting or the ridiculousness of the premise that they're doing, but mm -hmm. that they they resolve it in such a way that they don't actually have to engage with it, particularly. Yes. <laughs> Just go through they, the motions and yeah. Yeah, they they find the book, they say, what if we get to the end of the book? And then they read the end of the book and then they do that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> now, what if we get to the end of the story is a pretty predictable premise. It's it's used in a lot of stuff. It's like, especially now that, uh, you know, video games and the VR sort of story set is so prevalent. It's you get to the end of the story and then it ends and then you can get out of whatever thing you're trapped inside of. Pretty standard 
uh, storytelling trapped inside of a story logic. Ah. So basically this is an escape room, but, you know, in space. But especially since this book was so bad. Like, this this is talked about as a bad, pulpy book that didn't leave any particular cultural impact. It is pretty, it's it's not a stretch to assume that this book might have become lost media in the intervening 200 years. Indeed. So I guess it's a little surprising then that they have just, you know, copies in the uh, Enterprise computer. But yeah. then again, their computer is the size of a building. So <laughs> like I could see them doing historical research, figuring out that this book exists, that this is the setting but not having enough information to complete the story. Mm-hmm. And then the conflict resolution becomes, can we figure out the story in time to get out of here before whatever ticking clock bad thing happens? Yes. And the whole story resets said we have to try again. But, you know, we have to wait for everything else to happen first. Or just maybe Mickey D comes in and shoots up the entire place. Mm-hmm. You know? Maybe Mickey D doesn't just kill the one guy and leave, and you're like, ha-ha, that's it. <laughs> what if we took the role of Mickey D? Let's try that. Yeah, that could be an interesting <laughs> one. If they were just like, what if we just shot up everything and then left? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that could be an interesting resolution because it would go so against their normal way of having to solve problems. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, we have to solve it with violence? Well, these aren't real people, so it, it doesn't count this time, I guess. That's like the only particular problem is I like I like the char- these characters. I like watching them in novel situations. That's the fun of these very wacky random episodes. Mm-hmm. But it's very we're just doing things while the characters are there. They don't have yeah. any particular impact on the story. It's happening around them. They don't have to really do anything or interact with it in any particularly meaningful way. Like Data just has to reweight some dice. Yes, <laughs> which he can do despite, you know, a lot of other things in this place being basically immune to damage. But, you know, yeah, Star Trek plots. <laughs> that works. I mean, they didn't say that. Maybe this is how the foreign investors got their money. <laughs> yeah, I, I do like your idea that they had, you know, maybe they'd have to figure out what how it ends. Like they find, you know, the uh, the novel, but it's also physically decayed. So they get bits and pieces from it. And have to sort of make educated guesses on yeah, what's happening make, between point A and B. They could make educated guesses based on what they know about general story structure. There could be twists because it's so poorly written that some parts of it are unpredictable. And so, you know, they, uh, maybe they have to go through it uh, two full times or something like that in order to get it just right. Because, you know, they run into a situation where it's like, well, yes, the... Uh, the logical thing to happen here is this, but apparently that didn't work. So what other options are there? <laughs> yeah, maybe they have to learn that sometimes you need to throw out logic for spectacle, which mm-hmm. would work better if there was a Vulcan on the main cast. Yeah, Data's trying, but you know, he's not going to be that kind of surprise. So <laughs> It is kind of an odd one for these early seasons, especially have a lot of these episodes that are, this is just an original series plot. Beam down to planet, weird random things happening in another set we probably just had lying around. Indeed. (laughs) It does, uh, I guess, uh, have a bit of vibe of Spectre of the Gun in some ways, where we are in a situation where we are engaging with these sorts of tropes in this sort of situation, and there is a destined outcome. Yeah. Yeah. 
this case we're trying to follow it, it's supposed to avoid it. <laughs> I know it's an interesting contrast because you know the the resolution for Spectre of the Gun is if you can realize that none of this is real, it can't hurt you. Mm-hmm. And the resolution for this is we need to treat this as real so that we can take on the role of the people who get to escape. Yes. Bit of inverse. Yeah. <laughs> In terms of uh, this side of things, uh, I don't got much uh, more to say, really. Yeah. I mean, um, I think the, the, the real <laughs> lesson, the, the true lesson that one should learn from this episode is um, only bring good books with you when you go <laughs> on your space mission in case... Somebody tries to make it the ideal of human existence. Yes. Uh, though it does kind of draw into question how the aliens were able to extrapolate so much uh, from just the novel here. Yeah. Because generally when you're writing, you are, you know, setting up, uh, you know, various descriptions of places and things and uh, you know, events. But you are also doing so with the assumptions of cultural connection of some sort. You know, you know what a building is. You know what a bellhop dresses like. You have a general vibe of what a poker chip looks like. It's, you know, a little round circle thing with Jake with color and some, you know, a notation here and, you know, possibly a symbol of, of the hotel. Uh, you know, what does a, a cowboy hat looks like, you know, look like? If you're an alien, you might not necessarily get all the references that are being, you know, used here. And you could potentially have a situation where you are generating this from what you think these things look like, but in the end, they all come out wrong in some fashion. And that could maybe have been an interesting sort of twist on what was going on. Yeah, everything could have been a little bit off. That would have mm-hmm. been more interesting. Yes. <laughs> and uh, and you know, sure, they might be doing a thing where they you know extract some of the memories from the uh, the astronaut or something like that, but. You know, what if the astronaut has never actually been to a casino or had much interested in, you know, getting certain sorts of experiences? And so, you know, maybe they're, they don't know the rules of blackjack. And the, if the book doesn't explain what the rules are, then what the game actually is could be anything, potentially. Uh, and, you know, because, you know, the aliens are just like, well, this is the general vibe we're getting here. And the black and jack, these are separate words in their language. So maybe we need to, uh, the winner is going to be whoever can get, you know, get, get the uh, the Jack's uh, cards here from the, uh, you know, the spades and club suit. And they have to do something special with it. Let's think about how we'd build a game around that. Huh. And you could get something really strange out of it. That could mm. be quite interesting. It's like, yeah, so you get dealt the blackjack and then you run around the table three <laughs> times yelling blackjack, blackjack, blackjack. Yep. <laughs> and then you then win someone- money. Yes. <laughs> and then suddenly you have monies. <laughs> and uh, as far as, uh, you know, the, you know, like, what does a gun look like? You know, they could just have generic space phasers here. <laughs> it's like, oh, they're going to shoot somebody with this uh, thing. And uh, if you don't explain that this is a device that sh- uses, uh, you know, a, a chemical mix through, uh, to cause a small explosion to accelerate a metal slug down a uh, barrel at someone at high velocities, you could have your weapon be kind of anything that has a general idea of projecting something at someone. For all we know, the aliens could decide on a bow and arrow. Yeah, they just point yeah. at the guy, at the th- guy, and he dies because that's how yes. it works. <laughs> uh, bang! <laughs> or, or uh, you know, maybe something that, that for some reason looks exactly like a gun, 
but it doesn't shoot uh, you know a bullet. It shoots a ray of sonic energy that sounds like a bang, but kills people. <laughs> what would be interesting is if they they took the stuff too literally. So when the gun goes off, it doesn't make a gun noise. It just goes kiplow. <laughs> well, that was weird. <laughs> I think um, uh, an interesting way to look at this episode is as interesting as you can get with whatever is going on here. Is uh, this this is actually sort of a subset of the human zoo concept? Mm-hmm. As you have this guy who needs to be put into a habitat that suits him, and the aliens make assumptions based on the things that they find to create the habitat which historically mm-hmm. is something that's always turned out badly yeah because in the history of zoos like zoos have gotten really good now they do a lot of stuff to study animals figure out correct environments recreate them as best they can make them better for the animals than for the person observing mm-hmm. to the point where you usually can't see animals when you go to the zoo now that yeah, that's the animals you know, much like better for the, people, the animals yeah. <laughs> the people out there are kind of freaking me out because they mm-hmm. keep throwing things in my cage i don't want to hang out there today so but historically you can look at an evolution of how we kept animals in in zoos goes along with our scientific assumptions that we had about animals like mm-hmm. they can be kept in a random featureless box because animals aren't smart enough to need anything mm-hmm. else and it's just need a place to be kept and given food yeah that's not how it actually works <laughs> or places where you would just throw in whatever plants happened to look good whether or not they existed in the animal's original environment and you know might be toxic yeah i was like oh our uh, our uh, stegosaurus keeps getting uh you know uh, unhappy here and they're like oh it's because you put these plants that they like to eat here all over the place and they're killing it <laughs> I mean, there's not Trust much part. of a wider thing. It's just an interesting <laughs> example of creating something that you think should be a perfect environment, but because you didn't have enough context to research, you've actually created a living hell that's going to slowly kill someone. Yes. And, well, I guess that is in some way what's going on here. Uh, it's just, you know, a very shiny cage as opposed to, you know, one that's bare bones, uh, you know, empty room here. It's like, yeah, you're going to be able to live here as long as you like, mm-hmm. but... Now, the modern version of this would be someone brought Skyrim with them on their, <laughs> like, tablet or whatever future thingy, and then when they have to actually live there, the diary is like, everything in this world is trying to kill me. I can't go outside. <laughs> if I just stay in this cabin, I'll be able to buy as much food as I like, provided I have enough gold, so I have to go outside and, and get more gold but maybe I could just steal it from these people here. Hmm. If I get caught, the guard's going to run up and murder me right away. Drat. <laughs> I thought living in a video game would be fun, but literally everything is out to kill you to make it interesting for the player. Yes. <laughs> Can't walk so, three uh, feet without a bandit. So the, uh, the, the trick then is to become very good at potion making so you can make armor that makes you invincible. Yeah. yeah just keep pickpocketing pick the... Uh, the potion maker until you get up to the point where you can just steal thousands of gold and <laughs> it's such a broken game did i ever tell you about the time i was a uh, i made a character that was one punch man no doesn't surprise hmm. me though <laughs> run around the dungeons just punch everything once and it dies 
my run ended because I, you know, uh, there was you know, a little bit of a bug with that uh, when I faced Mirak. Oh. Anyway. <laughs> well, you know, until we start our inevitable spinoff video game podcast, we're, we're probably just around for the galaxy's favorite game show. Hey everybody, welcome to the Galaxy's Favorite Game Show, where we got lots and lots of uh, stories to tell and uh, many, many points to rack up and get counted here. Our various contestants have been uh, trying real hard and uh, actually, no, they haven't been trying hard at all, in fact. Um, this is maybe one of the more dis- disappointing ones in terms of uh, trying to hit up uh, you know, the, the point levels here, but they have hit up many of the different tropes here, so we've had to limit the, uh, the prizes handed out to just three, uh, so let's get started, everybody. The first one is the holodeck malfunction prize, which goes to the mysterious aliens that sit at the Royale because they're both really good at programming and really, really terrible at it at the same time. What do they win, Gepwin? They win the modern thing that we keep insisting on calling AI so that they start with the book and then it keeps interpreted so many times that while it doesn't become better, the incoherent gibberish that it eventually turns into is at least more interesting. <laughs> A ever-evolving... Uh... You know, go uh, status machine about uh, what's going to be the Royale and who's going to be facing off against Mickey D this time. Ho ho! Our second uh, prize is the Garbage In Murder Out prize, which goes to Mickey D because he's destined to always murder the bellboy forever because of poor writing. Poor bastard. Anyway, what does he win, Gepwin? Mickey D gets his own show where he slowly becomes self aware. And then just spends every episode trying to get himself out of this thing where he has to horribly murder someone for no reason and then failing over and over again as he's slowly just driven insane by the repetitive boredom of shooting a bellboy. Hmm. So uh, the situation gets more and more absurd the more he tries to refuse. It's like, oh yes, I now have uh, you know uh, a fully you know you know concrete and elaborate world around me. But if I don't shoot the bellboy. That world that I've been enjoying so much will be destroyed. No! Anyway, our final prize today is, is the cliche pileup. The writers get this one because we got a mix of Star Trek tro- uh, tropes and casino drama cliches piling up on top of each other to uh, make an episode that is a bit wacky. Yeah. When do they win, Gabwin? They win TVTropes.com, which was not available at the time because... <laughs> I mean, especially the writer's strike's been on as of our recording, so you could just go in as an executive if I want that one and that one and that one, and let's just mush them all into a computer and see what happens. <laughs> we and suddenly you have an episode uh, where, you know, uh, Riker's beard wanders off and tries to murder people. While well, he jumps uh, over a shark and plays yeah. poker. <laughs> <laughs> There's some poker involved and... Uh, uh, Diana is like I, I can sense the uh, the uh, the people there. What people? The the people out there, the audience. They're watching and they're disappointed in this. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and it all comes together at the end to be all like, uh, and then that happened. The end. So that's all I got here, Gepwin. Uh, I could go on for a bit, but uh, I only have so many time. Uh, uh, you know, prizes to hand out. <laughs> so take us away before it gets too weird. Yeah, we're going to go back off into the black void from whence we came. So thank you for joining us for the galaxy's favorite game show! Woo! 
So, uh, Femrod's last theorem. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what do you know about it? This is, I mean, I can't prove it. But. <laughs> uh, and apparently in Star Trek, no one can. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, Andrew Wiles figured uh, out most of it. You know, uh, there was maybe a couple of things you needed to get smoothed over at the end. But, uh, you know, getting together the modularity theorem, suddenly like, oh, we are sort of connecting, you know, uh, stuff in the upper half of the complex plane with elliptic integrals or something there. And they're like, yeah, that's basically the same thing as Fermat's last theorem. The end. Hooray. <laughs> Hooray. <laughs> also, some various approaches from various different mathematicians doing various different weird things. And yes. Hi. So, yeah, I don't yeah. know much about it. The main thing that I know about any of these math proofs is the end of a thing that's like, well, we can't exactly go through every single number and prove that this doesn't work mm -hmm. somewhere in the 47 billion five quadrillion range. Yep, like we can do a lot of brute force calculation, but we could always add one more to our number that we're trying out here. And, well, we don't have time to actually do that. So maybe a different way to study numbers is necessary. One, two, three, <laughs> four. But we're running out to the next episode, which, while equally obnoxious and... Uh, doesn't give the characters any particular agency and is also about predestiny interestingly mm -hmm. um <laughs> is very bad instead of being yeah. this episode's uh, sort of sillily enjoyable yes uh yeah the, the next one is one of those episodes where it's like i barely remember it and it's like oh yeah it's that one where picard's like having a thing happen yeah and yeah people remember <laughs> some of the visuals and mm -hmm. for some reason data keeps painting this thing <laughs> this this picture shows up so much it must be a piece of concept art that they're reusing or something because this thing from this episode shows up as art so often <laughs> yeah we're just uh gonna copy paste here it's fine no one notice right yeah or it's just an <laughs> easter egg i don't know anyway next episode is time squared which while it sounds like that's going to be one of the fun time travel episodes or a time loop or any of the things that they do well, it's that weird one where a second Picard shows up, has almost no lines, and just leads them on a merry chase into a wormhole. Yep. <laughs> and nothing was learned as a result. <laughs> nothing was learned. Very little was done. Nothing was accomplished. Yes, uh... So I guess the important thing to remember is that, that I counted to four, and that a four is a perfect square. Yes. But time squared is not perfect. No, it's not. Yes. Uh, yeah, that's that's all. That's it. That's, that's this. I'm not looking forward to it, but you know, we'll figure <laughs> out something. We always do. Next time on Watchers of Tomorrow, Picard meets his clone. No, 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 not that one. have been listening to Watchers of Tomorrow, a podcast on science fiction media. Find and follow Watchers of Tomorrow on Podbean, YouTube, Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Pocket Cast, Spreader, Digital Podcast, and perhaps many more to come. If you enjoy our podcast, make sure to subscribe for more. And where possible, make sure to rate your experience or leave us a review. You may find Gepwin on YouTube.com slash Gepwin and Twitter at Gepwin. 
you may find me, Dr. Izix, on youtube.com slash and Twitter at IzixLP. Music is Waveform and Morris Principle, both by BRKRN. You can also check out the Watchers of Tomorrow Discord channel. Make sure to share the experience with your friends, family, enemies, and alien overlords. If you feel you are suffering from transporter syndrome, please be aware that the next time you step off the transporter, that you, that is now, no longer exists. <laughs>